witnesses the first chance, and the Lord provided everything for it. And those who helped the Lord in this one, I do appreciate what you've done for us. We went up there to kind of scout the land and see where the Lord led us. And we went to various different little locations throughout the entire region. And it's kind of interesting that um, there are really dark regions there. I mean, it doesn't look like it. You drive through some of these towns, it's like, you know, Americana, the main street, the trees, the foot of snow on the ground, and, and all that kind of thing. And, but you feel it. As you drive through, you feel the, the, the darkness that's in this area. Um, it's kind of coincidentally, we were driving through uh, two towns there, actually across the state line between Utah and Arizona, uh, Hilldale and Colorado City. Now, if you're really kind of up on your uh, trivial news, you know that this is a location where there's a, a religious group referred to as the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. These are not mainstream Mormons. These are the polygamists, one of the polygamists that never gave up polygamy. And their leader, a fellow by the name of uh, Warren Jeffs, is currently in prison for a lot of what he had done. But he gave this prophecy that the world was going to end before the end of 2012. Okay? And as you, we were, and this was given apparently as we were driving through Colorado City, because you notice that a lot of people were kind of stirring about, which was unusual. We've been through there before. It's usually dead as a doornail. But people were scurrying about, and Alicia had her phone out, and she's on one of these boards that kind of monitors this kind of thing, and just, oh, this is what happened. And I'm th- sitting here thinking, that's interesting. I wonder what's going to become of this because my philosophy it is, if you tell me when the world's going to end, thank you. You just told me when it's not going to end. Okay? And what we, uh, you know, and there's some strong, there are some strong churches in, in southern Utah. Um, one to keep in prayer is the Calvary Chapel of St. George, which is the largest non-Mormon church in southern Utah. Uh, we, went, we visited there on, on Sunday. They have a beautiful facility, very similar to our own. In fact, it's in a metal building. But the Lord has really blessed that in the 10 years that work has been there. And they are now up to 400 members. Pause and think about that for a second. 400 members. And it is the largest church in southern Utah. Okay. There is another Calvary Chapel about 50 miles north in Cedar City. That's a smaller group. There are about 100 there. Until then, going north, there is nothing until you hit the Salt Lake Valley. Moving east, there is nothing until you hit Grand Junction, Colorado. This is an area in desperate need of the word. Apparently, that's where the Lord wants me to go. Not today, not anytime soon, because I'm five years from early retirement. And that appears to be his plan, but that appears to be his plan. And you have to see what his plan is going to be. And this kind of ties in with what we're going to be talking about tonight. So let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to worship you, to learn about your word, to basically get to know you better since you are our Heavenly Father. And first and foremost, we take, bring our pastor and his family before you with this illness and we ask you that it, to take it away. You know, you're the divine healer. You know what ails him. But maybe this is also a chance for him to rest up a bit. Whatever your will is, Father, bring him out of the illness. Bring him back to us. And again, we thank you for what you've done in, in, with his life in this ministry. And now, Father, 
Pour your spirit upon our word today as we look and see your heart, the heart of someone who wants to give us all the good things as we look ahead to this next year in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, despite all the predictions of doom and gloom, we already mentioned one, we mentioned another one, the Mayan calendar interpretation that the world was supposed to end on December 21st, which I'm glad it didn't because I had a nice birthday party that day. (laughs) We're still here. And we're now standing at the new year looking ahead to 2013. Okay? Lord willing, we're still going to be here for a while. But we don't know. We always have to live as if he's going to come back at any moment. That's what the word commands us. But it doesn't mean we just kind of throw all caution to the wind. It means we still have to think ahead. And a lot of us like to say, well, it's a new year. We're starting over. So let's start out with a clean slate. And a lot of us have fallen into this yearly ritual that's known as the New Year's resolution. And I'm sure you're familiar with them. You may have even said them yourself. For example... This year, I'm going to lose weight. That's why I will not be passing by the dessert bar and the coffee bar right now. Or this year, I'm going to exercise more. No, I didn't buy a machine, because I don't do that one anymore. This year, I'm going to be a better spouse. Take out the trash more than once a week. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. Or this year, I'm going to pay my taxes on time. Cool. Cool. No, I I pay my taxes on time. getting done early, actually. This year, I'm going to treat my mother-in-law better. And no, my mother-in-law is not in the audience today. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with wanting to better ourselves. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do something like this. But we have to ask ourselves, when we set goals like this, who is really setting the goal? Now, as a believer, most of us are going to say, well, Lord does that. But... Let's be honest with each other. Even though we may say the Lord sets the goals, really sometimes we still don't consult with the Lord first. And really it's just a habit. I mean, it's not that we don't love the Lord, it's not that we don't trust Him, but it's the way we're wired. We like to do things our way. And especially when we talk about the trivial things in life, we figure, you know, why do we have to bother God with something like losing weight? Okay? He knows He probably wants us to do it. And other little things that, you know, God, you know, God's busy and, you know, be honest, I don't want to be a whiner. And so I'm going to take my own path on this little trivial thing. Non-Christians kind of get in their heads if they believe that God exists, that, you know, God really couldn't care less. Or he's a spoil sport. He doesn't want them to have a good time. Okay. And I don't know what they call a good time. I mean, I've seen lots of non-Christians. I mean, uh, getting yourself blitz to the skills and, Waking up with a headache so bad you can hear uh, snails crawl? Or throwing up all the next day from a hangover? Yeah, that sounds like a great time to me. (laughs) Not. (laughs) But even when we do kind of acknowledge that God does want to help us, we still sometimes think, and this is Christian and non-Christian, that we actually know what we need better than God does. Okay, well... It's really hard to break this mindset, even for people who have been in, you know, walking with the Lord for many, many years. And really, as years of broken New Year's resolutions are going to attest, maybe it's about time we face the fact we're not the best judges of what we need for ourselves. Or the, really the best judges of 
what's the right decision? As I said, it may seem trivial to go over to go to the Lord for every little thing, but really that's what we're supposed to do. And God isn't bothered by this when we do this. Because God does want us to bless us with good things. He does want to give us everything that we really need and maybe things we don't think we want or need. Okay? It's kind of like a story, and I'm sure you've heard this. Okay, I used to attend Harvest Christian Fellowship out in Riverside. So Greg Laurie is, is a name I think most of you know. And he used to tell the story all the time, and after his son was killed in an auto accident, it kind of came out a bit more. Now his oldest son, Chris, when they were real small, he'd get his allowance or he'd get a little extra money. And Dad and him would go down to a, a store, to a toy store, and what was happening, the money was burning a hole in his pocket, and he wanted to buy something. And so they go to the toy aisle, or if they went to a, a regular store or to the toy store, and there Chris is, he's looking down at the lower part of the aisle thinking, oh yeah, I want that. Well, that's cool. It's a hand Solo action figure. That's what I want. And here's Greg standing in the background looking at the top seeing, ooh, there's the Millennium Falcon. Hmm. And Chris, of course, is looking at this and he's thinking, yeah, I want that. And Greg is saying, well, okay, but let's get on a ship to fly around in. And they kind of go back and forth because he really can't, you know, Chris couldn't see what was that. And Greg was saying, you need more than this. And finally, Chris would just say, Dad, you choose. Dad, you choose. That's what we should be saying to God. He's our Heavenly Father. He knows what's better for us than we do, whether we want to admit it or not. A scripture that we should all know, and really, if you haven't memorized it, you need to memorize it. We've looked into it many times and referenced it in church. And I know you've seen it. I know you've heard it. It is Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. This is a promise that the Lord has given to his people. Thoughts of peace and not evil. God is not this cosmic party pooper that wants to take all the joy from our lives, nor does he consider all forms of entertainment to be sinful, and he doesn't enjoy smiting people if they appear to be enjoying themselves. Okay? No, he's better than that. He is a father. Now, granted, some human fathers may act that way. He's not a human father. It says it. He wants us peace, not evil. Jesus says this beautifully in Luke 11, in verse 11, starting in verse 11. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Then you then, being evil, how you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask them? God loved us so much that He gave His Son for us to die for our sins, and we did not deserve it. Okay, There are people out there now that will reject Christ. They don't deserve it, but that doesn't matter. God did it anyway, and He gave them a chance to accept Him. Despite what they may say now, they may come about later. Once we give our life to him, joy fills our hearts as the Spirit moves in and starts to work in our lives. Now, for some of us, change is radical. It happens like overnight. One day you see someone who's basically 
a jerk. Let's just be frank about it. They have this conversion experience, and the next day, they're there's a totally different person. It's not them, it's the spirit that came in. Others of us, the change was much more gradual over time, but the change was still there because the spirit was allowed to work within us. These are some of the gifts that God gives to us after the gift of salvation. For example, one that we've mentioned already, peace. Who wants peace? We all do. I know of no one who intentionally wants to stir up trouble. Everyone wants a peaceful existence. Jesus repeated the promise in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That doesn't sound so bad, does it? But what kind of peace is this? Well, Paul describes it in Philippians as a peace which surpasses all understanding. A peace in the knowledge that God is in control and that no matter what is going on, he has his hand on you, taking care of you, and all you have to do is depend on him. That is a wonderful promise to us believers. But it is also the most elusive of the gifts that we have. Many of us don't have peace, even as Christians. I mean, life is not pleasant sometimes. You may have be dealing with an economic situation. Your job got cut or your pay got cut. You're dealing with marriage issues. You have a sickness, an illness, or loved ones who are sick and ill. You may be even dealing with a prodigal child. It can take away your peace, seemingly, because these are not pleasant circumstances. And here's the scary thing. It can happen to any of us at any time. But that peace is still there. It's available to us. For the taking, like any gift, you have to receive it. Remember, when Paul wrote those words in the book of Philippians about peace that surpasses all understanding, where was he? He was in prison. And believe me, there was no prisons like that we have now like that. But he was still, you know, we went through the book of Philippians recently. Rejoice, again I say rejoice. This is a man who's in prison, possibly going to be executed. He's still saying rejoice. He had that peace. So clearly circumstances are not, even though they're not pleasant, they don't necessarily take away our peace. Let's go back and look at Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 11. We'll see there's a little bit more. Hopefully it's up here. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back from your captivity. Now granted, when Jeremiah penned these words under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he was addressing the Jews in Babylon after they had been exiled from Jerusalem. It was judgment for them turning their backs on the Lord. But we can apply this promise to ourselves. For a non-believer, captivity is sin. For a believer, captivity can be unconfessed sin, but it can also be circumstances, guilt. It can be anything that keeps our eyes and minds off the Lord. That's the captivity. God said he would bring us back from our captivity, but we have to let him. I want you to imagine, if you will, 
a person in a jail cell looking miserably out the window into the clear air, pining away for freedom, looking through these bars, hopeless and even maybe even bitter. And then the door to the cell behind him is wide open. Many of us, that's our situation. Unless that person walks through that door, he has to walk. No one can force him out. He will never experience what the Lord has in store for him. Peace. It comes up all the time in Scripture. Just how important is it? Well, when Jesus is born, the shepherds witnessed the host of heaven, praising God, singing. This is out of Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. Goodwill toward men. The angels did not sing this because it would look good on a Christmas card 2,000 years hence. They were telling the world that God wanted this for them, peace. And this was why Jesus had come in the first place, to bring peace. This theme is visible no matter where you go in Scripture. We're not going to read the whole chapter. We're going to ask you, oops, I skipped ahead, sorry. (laughs) Okay. I want you to turn in your Bibles. This is a long one, so it won't be up here. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. Like this passage, like all of the book of Proverbs, gives us a glimpse of how we should be dealing with life and how we should life should appear to us. And really, how we should depend on the Lord for the peace that he wants us to have. We're not going to read the whole chapter, as I said, but I highly recommend it. Okay, But we're going to look at some valuable little nuggets that we can take away with us and ponder on and apply for the year to come. Proverbs chapter 3, let's start with verse 1. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace. They will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and men. I love this verse. I think most of us do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. The Lord wants peace for our lives. And when we lean on him, we find that that peace adds to our health. Now, this is no mystery to anyone what stress worrying can do to our health high blood pressure ulcers sleepless nights and all the other things that go along with it you can actually tell when someone's under stress because it's like they are physically falling apart before your eyes this is not a good thing jesus knew this when he on the sermon on the mount when he said which of you by worrying can add one cubit to your stature and another way of putting that is how is that going, worrying about it going to add any time to your life? It's going to shorten it. Unfortunately, worrying comes natural with us. That is why we have to cling to the Lord tightly, truly dumping the problem on his shoulders, allowing his peace to flow over us just to let go. And we don't like letting go, no matter how bad it is. It's like, I don't know how many people have done this, If you're testing something that's hot, use the back of your hand. 
because it moves upward. Because if you push down, what happens? It grips, and the burn is worse. And it's a natural thing. You don't want to let go. You grip it even harder, even though it is burning you and hurting you. Spiritually, it works the same way. We need to let go of these issues. Now, I'm going to tell you, this seems easier said than done. It's easy for you to say, you don't know what I'm going through. Well, maybe I have, maybe I haven't. We don't know. But it's not as hard as you might think. Now, it's not as easy on your own power. We're only human. Um, let me use this as an example. You've seen, you know, maybe an accident on the freeway or when we had a power outage about a year ago, you had the police directing traffic at the different intersections. So you have your police officer and there's a truck and a bunch of traffic heading toward him. He puts his hand up and everybody stops. Here's my question. Can he do that on his own power? Can he stop that truck by himself? No. We're talking about a man versus several tens of tons of, of steel and rubber coming at him. No, he doesn't. But what allows him to stop that truck is the authority given to him as a police officer by the laws of the state of California. Well, no, we're not a police officer. But when it comes to worrying, we can do the same thing. We can't do it on our own. But we have authority that comes from Christ given to us as believers. We just have to exercise that authority with the same confidence as that traffic cop exercises his authority to stop traffic. And no, it doesn't come easy. Remember, we're used to worrying. That comes naturally. But we have the ability to do it if we let the Lord do it. We're not talking about through drugs or tranquilizers or alcohol or anything that's human created. Just letting God take control, using his power to give us peace. That's all. Let's move forward. Move ahead to verse 21. My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down, and your sleep will be sweet. Isn't that nice? Wonderful promise. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor tr of trouble when the from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence, and will keep your foot from being caught. Now, notice something here. Solomon is not afraid, is telling us not to be afraid of trouble from the wicked when it comes. Not if, when. As we know, a lot of it's going to happen in this coming year. We have no clue what's going to be. There's going to be a lot happening, and unfortunately, quite a bit of it's going to be bad. I'm not being a pessimist. I'm just telling you, this is the way the world is. We are in a sinful world, and horrible things happen to, even to believers. Why? I don't know. I can't answer that question sometimes. God has a reason. There are some things I can conjecture, because I've seen it happen. The Lord allows these things to happen for maybe to reduce our dependence upon ourselves and to increase our reliance upon Him. That happened to me personally. Okay. Basically, when it happens, Lord, here it is. Sometimes it's just to strengthen our faith. 
and to strengthen our walk with him. The two are related. Afterwards, though, here's something that I found very useful. Afterwards, we can minister to others and bring comfort to those who are going through those exact same things we experienced to encourage them to rely on the Lord. Oftentimes, when things are the darkest, we get a lot of strength from someone who is walking with you, who have been there, encouraging you, praying for you, letting you know you're not alone. There are many people in this room right now who have never shared, shared their testimony publicly, like in a men's Bible study or women's Bible study, but they have been through some major trials. And they have reached out quietly to those who are going through the same thing. And this is a precious ministry for those. I have been the recipient, actually, of this many times. And I'm very thankful for this. They come out with texts of encouragement using the technology available, emails of encouragement. Hey, I've been thinking about you. Leaving a voicemail at the most appropriate time. Giving us a card that has an appropriate verse and saying we're praying for you. Words of encouragement. A hug at the right time. And sometimes these blessings are given anonymously, but it does not take away from the blessing at all. It is just wonderful. And my note, I'll be honest, guys, for those who know me, my own natural inclination, when things go bad, I like to shut up like a clam. I'm an introvert naturally, believe it or not. And I like to basically just pull into myself because I'm trying to deal with it. Okay? Fortunately, the Lord has shown me you can't do that. I even shut off from my wife sometimes, but no, I have to reach out. And what's even more beautiful, the Lord tells me to who to reach out to. The right person at the right time with the right words. That's the Spirit working. When it happens, that peace flows like a river. And even though maybe it's not a pleasant experience, maybe no, this is not fun, that peace is still there that allows you to move through it, knowing that, as the King James Version used to put it, and it came to pass. Beautiful words. Sometimes, though, bad things happen because God is trying to get our attention. Now, this is something that happens to non-believers as well as believers. Uh, let's look up, still in Proverbs 3, at verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. The Lord's going to punish me because he loves me? Mm-hmm. I'm a father. So a lot of us are parents. And we know that a lot of times to save a kid's life, you've got to give him a spanking. Oh, my, politically incorrect. Okay? But you have to do it. You have to let them know this is wrong. And there's a lot of truth in that statement that it's going to hurt me more than it does you. Okay? When I was a kid, my dad gave me a whooping. I didn't believe it one bit. But when now, <laughs> but now the paddle was on the other hand, okay, I understood a lot more of what he meant. Okay? No, physically it wasn't going to hurt me. But I didn't like having to do this to my son or my daughter. Of course, I haven't had to do that with my daughter yet. She's too young. But to both of my sons didn't like having to do it, but it's necessary. Any more than I think God likes having to do it to us. Okay? And unfortunately, sometimes, it, you know, non-Christians, we can kind of understand. They may have never heard the word. They really don't know what's going on. But what's really heartbreaking is when a Christian turns his back willingly on the Lord. 
Rebellion is a horrible thing to watch from the outside. And I know I'm reaching out to a lot of people at this point. Any parent who has dealt with a prodigal child knows this perfectly. There's no sense in what's happening. We get a glimpse of what God must have felt when Adam and Eve first sinned in the garden and basically told them in maybe not so many words, I don't care if you love me. I want nothing to do with you. Stay out of my life. I'm doing it my way, and yes, I do know the consequences, and I don't care. Sound familiar? I hope not. But for some of us, I know we have heard that. And I know God has heard it many times. He continues to hear it to this day. Even yet, God still let man his go in his own way. He was grieved. He loved us enough. If you feel that you're, I'm inflicting my presence on you, go. But I'm going to leave a way for you to come back when the time comes. Once man came to his senses, the road was clear to him. This was stated so beautifully in the story of the prodigal son. Go ahead and leave Proverbs. Go now to the book of Luke, chapter 15. This is a familiar story. It was a parable Jesus was talking about, basically the heart of God at this point. And so he begins the story. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But he, when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to fiend swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread and enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, I will go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am not, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Here's the beautiful picture. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. God chastens those that he loves because he has a wonderful plan for your life. He will let you go your own way. But he's still there waiting for you, watching for your return. Once you've been reduced to eating with the pigs, once you come to yourself, he will welcome you back home with open arms. And heaven rejoices at the salvation of a single soul. Once back, he will put you back on the path that he had originally set for you. 
thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Many of you have heard me tell this story before, but it's worth repeating, so I do ask for your indulgence if you have heard it. But it's a good demonstration of God's patience even when one is called and refuses to listen. Okay? Many years ago, and I had mentioned this, I used to live out in Riverside. Many years ago, an assistant pastor at a church I attended in Riverside had given us his testimony. And he was a neat old guy, okay? Very elderly, rather elderly gentleman named Wayne. And he came from Texas and still spoke with that Texas twang. And let me tell you about him. He, Wayne was born and raised in a small town in Texas, obviously. While in high school, he had gotten a calling from God to be a pastor. And he said it was a serious calling. It was not, oh, this sounds like a cool thing to do. It's like the Lord had impressed upon you. I want you to be a pastor. So as soon as he graduated from Bible college, he married his high school sweetheart, and he went across the state to one of the larger cities and enrolled in the Bible college there. However, remember, he was from a small town. Once he got there, the bright lights of the big town began to distract him big time. He started slipping into a lifestyle of party hardy. During the day, he was the perfect Bible student. Okay, He knew exactly what to say, when to say it, under what circumstances, and had knew exactly what testimony to give or what words to say during chapels. But at night, it was party into the night. How he managed to keep it up, I have no clue, because it sounded like the fellow never, never slept, or never slept, excuse me. Well, he thought that he was getting away with this, okay? Here we are living a double life. No one notices it. We're probably going to be going through this. I'll get my pastorate and Life will be wonderful. I'm doing what God wants me to do. Yeah. Okay. However, right before his senior year, during that summer, dean of students called him in from the college and basically told him, your double life's no secret. The entire faculty knows that you're a phony. And that, of course, didn't set well with Wayne. You know, he's from Texas. You don't call a Texan a phony. Okay. And he was angry. He was mad. How dare you call me a phony? Well, we know what you're doing. Everyone knows what you're doing. It's no secret. We've been praying for you. Dean's telling him, faculty, entire faculty has been praying for you, and this is, we decided, this is what we're going to do. You have two choices ahead of you. One, you want to continue down this road of party hardy? Go ahead. The other one, give up the world, recommit to your calling, and we'll see you through to the end of this year. But you can't have both. If you choose the party life, you're gone. Wayne, being that furious, said, I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to go my own way. Dean says, very good, Wayne. Go ahead. But God and us, we're going to be here when you come back. Wayne left in a hurry, and thus began 20 years of drinking, drugs, drug dealing, completely depraved living. Completely. It got worse and worse as each year passed until finally he was stoned to the gills at one point, driving his car down the wrong way with a sheriff on his tail with a trunk load of drugs he was trying to sell and got caught trying to sell. He managed to smash his car up into a ditch and then spent the, tried to spend as much time swallowing what he had in order to hide the evidence. Well, God didn't let him. 
basically made them throw it all up. Sheriff comes, and if you know anything about Texas in the 1950s, they did not look kindly on that kind of behavior. That night, the Lord spoke to him again, basically saying, had enough, ready to come home. And it was bad. His wife had left him now. She heard what had happened, it's like she'd had enough. He basically now was looking at a pretty stiff prison term. He saw that he was starting to go through withdrawal because some of the stuff he was on, so he's starting to get the shakes and feeling pretty miserable. Never having done that myself, I can't really describe it, but I've heard it's horrible. And those who have can probably attest to that. He cried out to the Lord and says, Lord, you're right. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done this. And he rededicated his, his life in that jail cell, in that little county jail cell. Now he knew, okay, I've got to continue on. He didn't know how it was going to happen. He figured, okay, probably got some prison ministry ahead of me. Again, Texas didn't take it lightly. But he was at peace with the decision. He was at peace. I'm back in the Lord's will. Yeah, if I'm stuck in a jail for the next 20 years, I'm still doing the Lord's work there. But the Lord had other plans. There's more to this story. The courts were strangely merciful to him. He didn't really have much jail time at all. He had reconciled with his wife, and then together they went back to the Bible college he had walked away from 20 years before. The same dean was there. Unannounced, Wayne walked into his office with his wife. The dean looks up and says, Ah, Wayne, welcome back. Ready to finish what you started? And he did. That's how he became the assistant pastor of this church out there. Now, he was satisfied with that position. He figured, you know, I'm not, you know, the Lord really can't use me more because, again, there were consequences to his actions. He had major medical issues because of what had happened. One of the things that always stood out is he'd be standing up here like I'm standing in front of you, going along nicely, then he'd stop. To have this look on his face, kind of like a computer processing. It's like a little beach ball that comes out and spins for a while. And he'd stand there for, like, we're talking several seconds. And before we knew this testimony, we had no clue what was going on. And he'd he'd either start on or he'd say, man, I forgot what I was saying. He'd look at his notes, oh, and keep going. And we'd laugh and think, okay, he's getting old, you know. But he figured, that's going to disqualify me from going any further than assistant pastor. But God had a different plan. Soon after I had left that church to move on, Wayne left that church to move on to one of the roughest parts of the city of Riverside, pastor of a church ministering to those people who had the exact same problems he had to go through. Isn't God wonderful? But that peace all the way along through it. Peace, not evil. That's a powerful testimony. And I know there's others in this room who could say very similar testimonies, maybe not as dramatic, but certainly showing that God meant business when he said, I have no thoughts of evil. I want to give you a future and a hope. So what New Year's resolution should we ask for then? You need to ask God. We need to ask God, Lord, what do you want from me? He already told us what he's giving us. Now that we seek his will, no matter what the circumstances, we know what he wants for us. But now, we ask this question. But a lot of times people will ask this question in the 
depths of despair. If you were with us on New Year's Eve, we had about 100 people in here. We showed the movie um, Courageous. And you may remember a scene. You have Javier walking down the street. He's praying to the Lord. He's doing it in Spanish. But basically he's saying, Lord, what do you want of me? And a lot of times we are doing the same thing, especially those of us who have been, been faithful. We've been doing what we're supposed to do. And things just aren't going right. And out in despair, we say, Lord, what do you want from me? He'll answer. Either through his word, through the words of another believer, or maybe directly through a dream or some prompting of the Holy Spirit. We don't know. But he's going to give you that answer. But we don't have to be in the depths of despair. We should be asking that same question when things are going well. Lord, what do you want from me? Blessing in life and blessing in a ministry of a believer is approbation of his walk, but we still need to make sure that we continue on in his will. Oftentimes he will tell us that we have done well, but it's time to move on to something else. Sometimes somewhere totally unexpected. Maybe he's prompting you. There's a call for you to go into children's or junior high ministry when all you've done in his service up to this point is serve coffee or greet people at the door. Maybe you hear the call to go to Mexico or India or Thailand when the furthest you've ever been home is maybe Las Vegas. Okay? Maybe he wants you to uproot the family to help out at a church plant in some small town in Utah. <laughs> With an 85% Mormon population to boot. And the nearest strong Christian church is 200 miles away. Maybe that's what he wants for you. That question, Lord, what do you want from me? It must be asked honestly and sincerely, and it will be honestly answered. And the Lord is going to give you what you need to do the task at hand. He wouldn't send you to Thailand unless he had equipped you for it first. You wouldn't have felt that calling unless he knew, yes, you can do this. You may not know you can do it now, but you can do this. He wants you to be his tool, a willing tool, not just grab the hammer and use it to slam something in, but, Lord, I want to be what you want me to be. Lord, what do you want from me? Keeping your eyes on him never fails. Going out on some ministry call is not a sink or swim proposition. If you've been truly called, you're never going to sink. Oh, it may sometimes feel like you're up to your neck. Okay, But you're not going to sink. He's right there with you the whole time. Jeremiah 29.11, one more time. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. He's not going to lead you into a dead end. Not if you seek his will always. And that joy and peace you get from serving our Savior so sweet that one can truly rejoice when the times of trials come because these trials are not there to break us they're to build us up in James 1, 2-4 the word tells us my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete lacking 
nothing. Lord, what do you want from me? He's going to let you know. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to serve you. We thank you for being tools in your ministry. But we are asking that question, Lord, what do you want from me? What do you want from us? And it's a hard question to ask sometimes because we don't like moving outside of our comfort zone. We don't like being in a place that we don't feel that we could do well. But fortunately, Lord, you know what we can and can't do and you will give us the tools to do what we need to do. And I ask you, Father, right now to put your hand on every single person here. Maybe they are asking this question, Lord, what you want from me? And if you hear, you want to ask this question, you're not a believer. You want to experience this peace that I've been talking about, this peace that surpasses all understanding, this beautiful blessing that the Lord is going to give you. If you want to experience that, you have to take the gift that God gave, the gift of salvation. If you want to take this gift... Or maybe perhaps you know what I'm talking about. You've heard it all, but you've slipped away. God's waiting for you to come back. He's watching for you from the front porch. He's waiting for you. If you're either of these, someone who's slipped away or someone who's never had a relationship, and you want to rejoin the Lord, you want to to get that peace, raise your hand so I can pray for you. Bless you guys. Bless you, gentlemen. This is uh, open to everybody. Peace that surpasses all understanding. Remember, God said this in his word. And when God made a promise, you can take it to the bank. He's not going to break his word. Anyone else? Bless you both. And bless you both over here on my left. All right, let's pray one more time. Father, I bring these souls before you. I know you have been waiting for many times, many years for most of these. You've been waiting for them to say, Lord, we want that peace. We want that salvation. We want that security that you've given to us. Father, put your hand on these people now. Bring them to you. Help them to surrender it all to you so they can experience this peace, that they can know that they are now within the joy of the Lord. Because, Father... You want nothing but the best for us. Your thoughts toward us, as your word says, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give us all a future and a hope. Father, we give it all to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, guys, please stand. One last song of worship. If you raised your hand, and you want to learn more about what we can do, what you can do to get that peace, we're going to have people across the front here, people who will be more than happy to lead you in a prayer, to pray with you, to let you in. This is no secret. It's all in the Word. But this is the most important time of your life right now. Don't leave this place without making that decision for the Lord. Pray with one of us.
Have a good evening, guys.